Hey there, party people. This is Queer Watching. I am Jesse, here with my best pal, Brianna. And today we are talking about Little Richard, I Am Everything. Little Richard, I Am Everything is a 2023 American documentary film directed and produced by Lisa Cortez. It follows the life and career of the musician Little Richard, who many consider a pioneer in rock and roll music. It had its world premiere at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival in January and had a limited theatrical release April 21st, 2023. You were actually able to see it in theaters, Brianna, but I was not. Because I live in the best city in the world and you do mm. not. Well, I don't know about that. I think it's Pacific Northwest all the way, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. uh, you can watch this on VOD now. So if you do want to check it out, you can. I guess this is a spoiler alert. It feels weird to do that on like a celebrity's documentary because I feel like a lot of people know about Little Richard. But I guess this is a spoiler alert for the things they talk about in the documentary. Well, you set me up quite great for that because I actually knew absolutely nothing about little Richard. Um, oh. My introduction to him was in the nineties. Um, I believe he had released a CD of children's music. So the song that I knew by him was keep on knocking, but you can't come in banana. I don't actually know if it was a child CD, but I have a very vivid memory of him dressed really like outlandishly and just listening to those songs. So I assumed as a child that he was, a kid's musician. And I'm sure my dad loves rock and roll, talks about him a lot or talks about rock and roll a lot. I'm sure he's mentioned Little Richard, but like I never really put two and two together. So to me, Little Richard existed as a kid's performer. So then when I went to go see this documentary, again, not having seen a preview because this is just my MO at this point, was just completely blown away. I thought this documentary was fabulous. I think it brought up a lot of really complex issues um, as Little Richard being such like an intersectional human being. We got to see the effects of homophobia, of racism, of um, growing up in religious communities. And yeah, it was just it was great not to mention the music was all amazing because of course I recognize like all of his songs. I just didn't know that that was who was doing it because I love music, but I don't care that much about music versus like movies. I'm going to do research if I recognize someone, but I don't know who it is. I won't do that with music, not even with songs that I love. So yeah, I am not surprised the way that his music career went. And I'm not surprised that even in the synopsis, they say who many consider a pioneer of rock and roll music versus the king of rock and roll music and or the founder, the architect, as they said in the film. And I feel like that's specifically because of racism and homophobia. Um, so it's just sad to see the effects of that even today. But yeah, I was immediately drawn in and absolutely loved this film or this this documentary. What about you, Jess? Well, I'm glad that you loved it. That's really, really good to mm -hmm. hear. I thought it was kind of boring, to be honest. And maybe it's because I knew a little bit about him already. But to me, it was almost too formulaic of a documentary. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of marched along to me and was much mm -hmm. more about like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And it like, was almost impressive to me how they could take someone whose story is like, 
not boring and whose personality is not boring and presented in a very boring way. <laughs> so there were parts where I was like, man, I love little Richard more from watching this, but I'm bored in this moment. So like, how mm. can that be happening? So yeah, I would love to see somebody else take all of these pieces and cause there's some like really great footage bits in mm-hmm. here. There's um, they show the footage of him presenting at the Emmys or sorry, Grammys, I Which, imagine. <laughs> that read was just amazing. Amazing. Yes, his ability to like, yeah, use that space in that moment to like take what was rightfully his. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was honestly some very stunning work. Poor they little Richard really deserved. I know. And that was honestly one of the true tragedies about watching this is how little widespread recognition or like how little Grammy recognition, how how few awards little Richard got for inspiring and fostering in like all of these rock and roll legends, the Beatles, Elvis did covers, right? Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis. Like it's unreal. The amount of people he inspired and Prince. Yeah, Bowie. Like it's thank you. I was trying to remember Bowie's name. I was like, that white guy. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's unreal. And they all, you know, they I think understand the artists understand what Little Richard meant, but the world definitely does not. So yeah, it was great when he took that moment. Right. And I really liked that they in the film also kind of analyzed like why he was able to take that that moment. They were like, Well, he wasn't threatening. Like, because he was so feminine, because he was who he was, he could get away with doing that and not being labeled like the the angry, aggressive black man. But he was really angry and rightfully so. And like, yes, I think the musicians that he like coached and mentored and inspired recognized what they would do, what he did. But at the same time, if they were like, if they truly gave him his due and his credit, then those names in the industry have enough sway to have gotten Little Richard the recognition and the awards. So they, even though they like are like, thank you so much, Little Richard, they are also complacent in his inability to break to their level of stardom. And after seeing this, like now when I hear kind of like the riffs that he would do, now hearing it in other songs I'm like wow that really does stem from because as they were saying in the documentary sounds like this did not exist in mass before he started making records and I was like wow that means we can basically point to an era or a starting point of this music but he's still not considered the founder I don't know it was very I I left very angry from this documentary yeah and uh, and honestly like i'm sure i've mentioned this on the podcast before but to me one of the most political things you can do is spend your money because we live in a capitalist society so mm-hmm. you know that phrase put your money where your mouth is is the first thing that occurred up to me right if elvis takes tutti frutti and makes more money and doesn't give any of it to little richard how grateful is he really you know right <laughs> and like also not for nothing but like his first song was about anal sex. Like how gay in the 40s or 50s, I think that song came out. Do you have to like, that was such a gay song and I love it. 
but yeah, how are you not going to give compensation? Yeah, exactly. And obviously they toned down the lyrics there. It's not. See, I wish he had done a re-release. Like, give us those original lyrics back. There's there's a crowd for that. Like, let's. Absolutely. <laughs> I understand it, it does... wasn't marketable in 1955 when the song came out. But like, you know, let's, uh, let's try it in the 90s and see what happens. <laughs> right. And I mean, as the documentary pointed out, by the time he could have done the re-release of these songs, he was back having another religious experience and reconnecting with those roots. Yeah. So he probably was not ready to make that music. But when we were first introduced, before we get to the end of his life, when we were first introduced to Little Richard, his story and getting kicked out of his home by his dad and stuff like that very much reminded me of the story of the the kiddos that we saw in Kiki. And like, he went out, Little Richard went out and found a community, found people to feel safe with the same way that these kids did that. And like, that just goes to show you, even in the 30s and 40s, these communities existed and people sought out safe havens and like, not for nothing, but a bar was a safe haven for Little Richard back when I think he said he was like 16 and the lesbian bar gave him like the chance to come and work and stuff like that's awesome. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's it, that's and my thought. <laughs> no, agreed. I think that kind of goes back to the point you made earlier about the non-threateningness of the femininity, right? Part of the reason that it works to do it this way is because, you know, femininity is not looked at as threatening, right? It's looked at as less than. So because it can still be the butt of the joke, people can go along with it which is kind of pick and choose when we go along with it in the forties and the fifties, because it is illegal, right? So mm -hmm. it's gotta be done in certain ways. Otherwise people are going to get up in arms and send you right to jail. And the exact fact, like it, the rage that I felt when they were talking about how little Richard's music was permeating Jim Crow lines and was making white kids just act to, I think like quote unquote crazy. And it was making, parents and people uncomfortable to have them fawning over this black kid or this black guy so they found elvis and they basically made the white version of little richard and i'm like so it's not necessarily the femininity it's who's doing the femininity and for what crowds because i also do think at times little richard's femininity delegitimized him and made people not take him as serious as a rock and roll person versus like Elvis who everyone claims is the king of rock and roll and I'm like yeah but you were there because white parents didn't like how their kids were reacting right absolutely I also thought that the documentary touching on the way that the timing of the transistor radio and car radios lined up really well mm -hmm. to pushing little Richard at a certain point because they couldn't necessarily always tell immediately, like if it was a black station or a white station. And so they would listen to the black stations a lot more because they just preferred the music and that's where they played little Richard. So that helped him be right. what I think they called a crossover artist, meaning he mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, just for one race of people. So that was kind of cool to see like the history of, you know, <laughs> this stuff line up 
to give him a little bit of a bump because yeah the the race of novels definitely working against him over and over again right and i think about like how when the people who were creating that technology for that radio one thing they probably didn't consider was how that blending would happen and then you just see again the like reinforcement of racial lines beyond everything and i'm like uh yeah cool especially effect. as people get more cars right we start mm-hmm. to also see teens and young adults use them for what they, else <laughs> yeah. to get laid <laughs> yeah they talked about that like that the development of teenagers was not a thing until around this era that like these artists were coming out yep yeah so at least a little bit of good timing there Mm-hmm. I guess I kind of want to know your thoughts as someone that was not raised religious or believes in any kind of religion. Talk to me about your like your feelings and thoughts on on his journey here that that does some, a lot of going back and forth. Right. Point of clarification, though, I was raised in the church for like the first 12 years of my life going upwards of three to four times a week. I just never believed it. So I never actually listened to retain or anything like that. So yes, but like not in a religious household to the extent where like, I'm sure at one point, point my parents genuinely wanted me to believe it, but like not a religious household like yours where there was reinforcement along the way. Um, What was your question? I already forgot. What was my response to this or something like that? It made a lot of sense that this would be his journey in regards to religion, it still broke my heart that like, of course, for a poor Southern black family, I think he was like, what, one of seven or one of 11 kids, one of like a ridiculous number of kids. 12. Yeah. 12. Yeah. Um, Not ridiculous, not shaming. Sorry. But a lot of children, poor black Southern family of course the church is going to be huge and they happen to be pentecostal which is very common news to me because i grew up with pentecostal people in washington being white with fancy hairdos and long denim skirts apparently not all pentecostal people are white it did however break my heart when he was on that airplane and then he like to me sounds like either had a panic attack or some other like religious experience that then caused him to feel so much fear and my heart broke for him because I can't imagine how afraid he had to be to not only think he was dying but then also to believe and like genuinely believe to his core that he was going to spend eternity in hell absolutely it makes sense like if you genuinely believe that that you would do a a 180 and that you would try and repent um I love that it didn't stick and that he was able to like come back. But yeah, his journey, especially because even by the time like the nineties were coming around in the two thousands, there wasn't that much emphasis on the rhetoric was still convert yourself from being gay. Like therapy wasn't there to help you unlearn religious trauma. It was there to make you more, to make you straight. So I feel like that was going to be his only outcome. Because there was just so much what seemed like internalized self-hatred. And one of his friends at one point said that like Richard was great at advocating for everyone, but for himself. And I was like, 
oh, like he seemed to have so much love for his community when he wasn't in this religious state, but like just couldn't give it to himself. And then he was so deeply lonely. I think like one clip talked about how he wanted to have a romantic partner, but that was never going to be for him. And I was just like, oh my God, I want to hug you. So lots of feelings. I mean, the whole like fighting tooth and nail and supporting your community, but not being able to support yourself, like that's sort of relatable. I feel like it takes some effort at the very least to be able, you know, as RuPaul says, you gotta love yourself. If you're gonna love somebody else. I'm just gonna keep saying that to everyone all the time. That's tough. And yeah, I think it's apparent that there's obviously some, a lot of guilt and internalized homophobia. It definitely made mm-hmm. me feel for him quite a bit, especially when the church is so important to your sense of community and nothing like a queer community, at least as we know it now, exists at the time. You know, there's no such thing as advocacy groups really at all in the 40s they don't really start till mid 50s and even then it's just gay white men right who take a more assimilationist approach so it's definitely not queer flamboyant gay men that are taking up the whole stage and screaming their face off and i don't know in a lot of ways i was watching it and just like very proud of like yeah like i could never be this trendsetter in this way you know like do something that's so brand new i guess and there was something about who little richard was that in spite of being an outwardly gay black man in the 50s 60s 70s and 80s and not like closet like no i i love women like blatantly out there that his music still did that well that like at least in this documentary they didn't highlight any like hate campaigns against him or like things like that so I'm sure that was there but like that his music surpassed his queerness where in so many other instances even recently it has been the end of a career and I don't know if that's because his performance persona just kind of gave this I'm going to say it loud and proud so you can't take it away from me type of thing that then people just like gravitated towards that or or what. But it was something that I found really interesting. I thought it was going to be like way more toned down. Yeah, I agree. The documentary touches on a lot of really interesting points, but for some reason... I don't know if it's that everything's weighted the same that happened to him in his life. So nothing feels more or less important than the others. I can't tell exactly like pinpoint specifically. I just know multiple times while watching it. I was like, this person is not boring, but the way this is being presented is pretty freaking boring. I also agree. Like I remember being like, oh, it's only 98 minutes. This won't take that long. And then it felt long as shit, but I still, I still really enjoyed it. Um, I did wish that there was more personal information about him because all we got was like interview level answers rather than 
autobiography answers. Like I wanted to know kind of like what were his thoughts? How did changing from being this rock and roll performer to being a a religious leader, like how did your queer friends handle that? How did like, did you stop talking to them? Like what were your relationships like with your family around this time? Like what was your date? Like they, but there was never that like second or third layer to really give us insight of what was happening. So yes, the documentary was very reporty, like you're saying. Um, so that'd probably be my critique. That's fair. I also would have liked to see them maybe hone in a little more on like, oh man, this is gonna make me probably sound silly. I think there's something very like poetic about what a contradiction little Richard was in and of himself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the documentary could have but maybe chose not to but like didn't highlight that because like to me if we're talking about music this churchy gospel music is kind of the antithesis of rock and roll and his queerness is kind of the opposite of a lot of the church stuff and so like he literally holds and held all of these identities in one person and just you know went back and forth between almost embracing and exaggerating them and like that's so amazing to have all of that in one person, even though it sometimes I'm sure it was very like torture, right? To have all of these contradictory things living inside one being. So I don't know. There's, there was a lot of ways to like think about what was being presented and be like, Oh, there's so much good stuff here. I just, I don't know, maybe weaving some kind of thread would have made it all tie together or something. I'm not sure. I just would have, maybe chose a more creative format to present, you know, the little Richard doc, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Cause I do agree. I do think like it's such a unique experience to have so many dichotomies and to actively see like the times in his life when he's leaning towards one dichotomy, one side of the dichotomy versus living in the middle And I don't know if he ever found a way to live in the middle. And I think like in this situation, the middle would have been how to integrate his religion with his queerness, because I don't necessarily think like, and I know he made the gospel records, but the gospel records didn't necessarily hit at least in this documentary as intensely or as like performatively or passionately as the other music did. And I feel like I got the sense that music really was a passion in a way of like communicating his soul. And so that has to be hard to kind of feel like you're leaving that out in another thing that means so much to you. I totally agree. I also thought it was interesting because I don't have memories associated with a lot of little Richard's songs and like also a lot of like the the gospel songs that were in the in the documentary but my wife did and so like I was just I felt like I was just sitting there just like consuming this documentary as like a freaking white person in America who didn't grow up with uh little Richard playing everywhere and like she had a memory almost tied to every single little thing and like recognized it and I just feel like it was very different viewing experiences because I very much felt like I was viewing it as an outsider versus like viewing it as someone who grew up within this community because she also grew up Pentecostal so I feel like there's lots to relate there 
Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Dang. We really missed bringing Aquila on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Well, (laughs) I mean, if she gets back from the gym in time, I can be like, babe, what were your thoughts? (laughs) I mean, I could do my weekly... What RuPaul's Drag Race thing did this make me think of? I kind of already touched on that, but um, there is on Snatch Game, Kennedy Davenport does a little Richard for Snatch Game. Oh, so good. Highly recommend if you're just like Snatch Game surfing through the seasons, make sure, make sure you check out the little Richard by Kennedy Davenport. Any final thoughts from you? So I guess I had like this comment and I didn't, I didn't follow it up, but like afterwards I did feel kind of sad for the queer community. Cause I imagine that at some point, like the queer community was really excited that little Richard was like out and making music and all of that stuff. And I wonder like how it hurt them, not only like politically to have somebody in their community, like come back and be like, no, I renounced this. Um, but also just as like visibility. And then also I'm just going to continue to be curious of like how that those changes hit the people that loved him. So not only his queer friends and family, but like also his brothers and sisters and like other people in his life, like, could they tell that he was struggling, that he was hurting? I didn't, I know there was a few people that were like really close to him in this documentary, Um, and I know it was made after he passed, so maybe it had to do with like people not actually being alive, but I wish that there had been more like best friend interviews. Yeah. Again, to go back to giving us some of the, the insight, but of course you, the social worker was like, where's the intimacy I need to get to know him. (laughs) Yeah. Because honestly, like, I don't feel like I really got to know much about little Richard. I got to know about the ups and downs of his career and why he is sometimes an asterisk in rock and roll's history rather than like, here's where it started. But no, I don't feel like I know, I know facts about him, but I don't know him from this. Um, And it definitely left me wanting to. And I don't know if like this is because of all the stuff he wound up saying about queer people and the queer, like, I'm going to say lifestyle, but I don't mean it like that. But I don't feel like he is a queer person that we claim or that like I hear a lot of queer people claim. So I don't know if that's kind of like what he's done to himself or like the queer communities that I regularly associate with. I also wasn't asking people about Little Richard, but like in the queer tributes, on things. I don't really see him come up. Yeah, that's a really good point. You're right. He's not a queer icon that I feel like people are shouting out and bringing up years later, wearing apparel for. And I think it's for exactly kind of what you touched on. I think it's because it was a turbulent persona because mm-hmm. of some of the shame and guilt from the religious parts of, you know, his life. Boy, so I definitely think of him as a queer icon and it's not that complicated to me because he was one of the first people doing drag in the 40s and 50s. Like, even if later he was like, that was a mistake, that's all fake, blah, blah, blah. Still historically happened. So to me, it's just like they're (laughs) immovable. Yeah, like (laughs) 
I feel like sometimes when you like study ballroom stuff like that will overlap a little bit because of, again, just the performativeness of a lot of these things. Some of that's probably also a little more racism, right? Like we tend to overlook people of color so much easier than white folks because mm-hmm. I don't know, white folks were probably the ones writing it down more, being louder, or having the privilege to do it. So I think again, it's also for part of what you're you're talking about. There aren't these intimate interviews with Little Richard being like, I love men, I love queer people, like at least that we saw here or that I have seen in my life. Maybe those exist somewhere, right? But not mm-hmm. that have been presented to us. So it does feel like all we know is his persona. And that's, I think, a little tougher to cling to than a person we feel like we know, whether we do or not. Yeah. And I also think about like my experience with him is going to be different because he passed away in 2020. And so I was like, when he was saying these things, I was not alive or aware of my own identity to really understand the impact that this would have coming from someone in my community. So I don't necessarily think I'm the person to claim, yes, he's part of like our queer community and we should claim him as a, as a person. But I do think it begs the question of like, based on this documentary, I very much see a queer person with a lot of internal pain. So at like what point or to what extent do we as a community, like forgive this person and still claim them? Versus like people who are part of our community and do a lot of harm. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think that to me, this was more harm out of, oh, out of like internal injuries rather than harm because this is what I truly believe. If that, if do you get the difference I'm trying to draw? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say like little Richard did some hurtful things but we understand where they came from and why. So he can still sit with us, but people like Caitlyn Jenner can't sit with us. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That was, yes, exactly. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I also though feel like that could be being like, okay, well then you're downplaying or misconstruing to the level of which religion is important and shapes people's thoughts and beliefs which of course I'm always going to do because I'm not a religious person but I do believe that like if he hadn't lived through the 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s that he might have had a different belief if he'd been born into a time that had more resources or more platforms that his music and his ability to exist as a gay man might've been harmonious. I don't know. I might just be hopeful and projecting, but that's me. Yeah. That feels like some optimistic rhetoric right there, but yep. you know, hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. I did leave this movie being, or this documentary being like, I truly, truly hope that his soul found peace. Like, I believe he found peace as soon as he passed, but like, I I hope that what he believes, he got the, the good version of it, because I think he deserves peace in some life. 
Thank you for joining us today on Queer Watching. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Queer underscore Watching. And if you like what you heard, give us a five-star rating where you get your podcasts. You can also send us an email with recommendations or feedback at queerwatching at gmail.com. Toodaloo!